My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people make friends. I'm just trying to make a little money. My job's not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Maybe this market is going to the dogs in a good way. This morning, a company called Rover, which calls itself the world's largest online marketplace for pet care, caught a takeover bid for $2.3 billion, a 61% premium from Blockstone. Huge move on a seemingly sedate day with Dow advanced just 13 points. This beat the climb 0.09%. Now it's like 0.16%. So what, what, what does this matter, this smaller takeover matter to the point where I'm leading off my show with it? Because companies like Rover have been rolling over and playing dead for two years now. This company came public near the end of that ridiculous SPAC phase. And its stock plunged, of course, from 15 and its highs to $3 in a few months uh, after the Fed declared war against inflation. Since then, Rover, and like so many others, have been bouncing around their lows to mid-single digits, wiping out your portfolio, gradually improving, though, its own profit- profitability, while doubling its revenue growth. But like thousands of smaller cap digital plays that you may own, nobody cared. Hey, we got Apple, we got Amazon, we got Alpha, we got Microsoft, we got Meta, we got got Tesla. Who cares about Rover? (laughs) There's a simple answer. You know who cares? The people who made a fortune on Rover today. And thanks to this takeover bid, they made a killing buying an online dog walking service. Not kidding. For too long, there have been two markets here, right? There's the market that did nothing and made you feel like it would be better to hide in CDs or treasuries. And then there was that handful of tech stocks that generated almost all the S&P 500's returns. Small cap stocks were poison, a boneyard picked over and worth nothing to anyone. But with interest rates peaking a month ago and a growing sense that the Federal Reserve might actually be done tightening as inflation comes down, let's accept it. We've got a whole new bull market. That's right. See, there's something at last getting exciting, getting, getting worth being excited about down here. Down here. I mean, come on. Who's cared for so long? And I want to shout it from the rafters so you know about it. That's right. Suddenly, big companies want to snap up smaller companies. Suddenly, companies want to do something to bring their stock back up. Suddenly, people are watching stocks like they, they're watching cheap stocks like Rover. Hey, we got activist investors who've begun finally to start pushing companies to get Elliott Management. They did it to Crown Castle the, earlier this week, a cell phone tower. Now they're back and they're doing it to Phillips 66, the refiner. And the stocks are going higher and they're not done. They're going higher still because both their companies are poorly managed versus their peers and because their dividend yields are suddenly enticing again because bond yields have come down. Thank you, Elliot. You can tell there's more enthusiasm for this market. The quintessential retail brokerage stock, Schwab, has started to roar. Oh, man, remember that thing? It was a death store. Its balance sheet wouldn't consider liability. Doing fine now. Rates going down. But Schwab's also the destination of retail investors looking for the nook and cranny stocks, the hidden gems, the ones that could have gigantic percentage gains. And, you know, like this one. <laughs> These people are cadre to our show. Welcome back. Good to see you. Now, I don't want to fly in the face of the late Charlie Munger, one of the greatest investors of our time. But I bet many of you who heard his wisdom through Becky Quick, by the way, who has a terrific special tomorrow at eight about this amazing man. I'm sure you want to make the kind of money he made via individual stocks. This show 
and the CNBC Investing Club are places to learn how to manage your own money, along with the index funds that Charlie liked for those who who did lack the time and inclination or horsepower to pick stocks. That's not you. It's not you or you wouldn't be watching. You should feel good because this has suddenly become a market where your homework matters. It doesn't need to hang on every word from Elon Musk, even though I did because my great colleague Andrew Ross Sorkin brought him on in a very rare uh, and raw moment. You don't have to hang on every uh, moment from uh, a message from NVIDIA's Jensen Wong, even though you know I named my dog after NVIDIA. It's not hostage to iPhone 15 sales either because we're far less reliant. No, we're far less hostage to the Magnificent Seven. Of course, bigger companies have stocks that have been ignored. But I want to take matters in their own hands, too. GM announced a $10 billion buyback. $43 billion company also substantially boosted its dividend. Why not? Stock sells at four times earnings. That's no respect. It's arguably the cheapest stock in the S&P 500. If they saw interest rates are going higher and auto loans getting even more expensive, they would announce that kind of buyback. But they don't. They see something better. And you know what my favorite dead area is? My favorite area that was left for dead, train wreck, out the window. Retail. Ever since Gap, yeah, people used to fall into that stock. Ever since Gap reported an okay quarter and saw its stock store nearly 50% over the next couple of weeks, 50%, I have been blown away by how little it takes to move these retail stocks higher and how much money you can make in them. The fact that Old Navy's 1% same-store sales growth could spur such a huge gain is crazy. Crazy good. What happened to Foot Locker today, will you? I mean, come on, the shoe store chain reported same store sales down 8%. But Wall Street was looking for down 10%. And the rest of the quarter was full of better than feared numbers. So the stock jumped 16%. I repeat, 16%. Oh, I like Apple. You know that. Own it, don't trade it. But I can't make 16% there. As I told members of the CBC Investing Club, this is CEO Mary Dillon's co- company now. And Dillon's the one who transformed Ulta Beauty from a dog, a rover, into an incredible success story. Just like Foot Locker, it took her a couple of quarters to get the thing right, but once it's righted, the stock started roaring. All aboard! I bet many bearish analysts will have to upgrade tomorrow and go bullish in response to what happened today. Now, I'm not saying investors will move on from Magnificent Seven. They had a pretty terrible outing today, though. Or even the other attacks. Fabulous tech companies like Workday and CrowdStrike, Last Night, Salesforce, and Snowflake tonight reported some of the best quarters I've seen in ages. I, I, we will have Salesforce Mark Benioff and CrowdStrike Stuart Kurtz on tonight. I bet you will be blown away by their comments. Chapel Trust followers know I think Salesforce is incredible, but it smashed my expectations tonight with numbers we have to crow about at tomorrow's morning club meeting. At the same time, some stocks have already gone too far. I mean, Humana and Cigna, they're supposed to be in merger talks. We own Humana for the Chapel Trust. I think this is a terrible idea. First, Humana was doing so well. Who needs a Cigna? Second, can these two managed care companies read the room? Lena Khan is an FTC chair. She will fight this deal with everything she has, arguing that the consumer will be hurt. You will be hurt by two healthcare insurance giants getting together. And you know what? She'll be right. Ms. Khan, I'm happy to have you on to shoot down what I hope is just an ill-advised trial balloon. Consider that an invitation right here. Thrilled to have you. Bottom line, some no-name money-losing SPAC got disciplined, started making money, and then caught a takeover bid from a high-quality buyer, <laughs> ringing in a change, a monumental change to a once-moribund group. When rates were higher, Rover was the detritus of ridiculous, fatuous, and fanciful era, like hundreds and hundreds of other stocks. But with rates going down, it's a takeover target. Tells you everything you need to know about this suddenly glorious stock market. 
K in Texas, K. Jim, I love your show. Thank you. I am overweight in Bristol Myers Squibb. I bought most of it in Celgene because they were so good to my brother who had multiple myeloma for years. It has gone so far below my basis. Should I hold for long term or take losses to rebalance? Okay. Well, first, Kay, thank you uh, for your considered words. But I have to tell you this. We don't care where stocks have been. We care where they're going. And in my take, Bristol-Myers is going absolutely nowhere. Unlike Eli Lilly, which I think can go much higher still. All right, when rates were higher, Rover was the detritus of fanciful era with lower rates going lower. It's a beautiful takeover target. Maybe this market is going the way of the dogs. And it's a good way. Well, man, money tonight, three huge tech guests. Close viewers know we've been big fans of CrowdStrike, and it's soaring over 10% after earnings. I'm learning more about what drove the strength this quarter with the company's top brass. Then reporting after the bell, I'm getting a read on the state of the cloud with Salesforce CEO Mark Benioff. And Snowflake's back and bigger than ever in fashion on The Wall Street Show. This was the quarter that I've been waiting for. You will not want to miss my post-earnings exclusive with Frank Slootman. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Look at the stock of CrowdStrike Go. The cloud-native cybersecurity firm reported a magnificent quarter last night, and its stock shot up more than 10% today. Makes sense. We live in a world where publicly traded companies need to disclose any data breaches within four days, which has made it all the more essential for them to get the best cyber protection. So it's no wonder CrowdStrike had record net new and accelerating annual recurring revenue. Big, big piece of data there. Record operating profitability and record free cash flow. On top of that, management raised their full-year forecast pretty nicely. Like I told you, you don't bet against CrowdStrike going to earnings because at least since 20 coming public 2019, these guys never miss. Don't take it from me. Let's check in from George Kurtz. He's the co-founder, president, and CEO of CrowdStrike. Get a better read of the situation. Mr. Kurtz, welcome back to Mad Money. Great to be here, Jim. George, this was a quarter of tremendous records. I want to ask you, in this quarter of records, which is the one you think is most important for us to focus on? Well, I think when you look at the net new ARR, it's a record. Obviously, we accelerated to 13% year-over-year growth, and that is with a, a macro headwind, as we've talked about, as many have talked about over the last year. So uh, kudos to the team for executing really well, and I think it really just demonstrates the power of the, the single platform that we built at CrowdStrike designed to help companies stop breaches, save time, and save money. You spent a lot of time on your conference call and in your readings talking about a consolidation. People no longer want different vendors. They want one that they trust. And it seems like that yours, according to this, when I was reading about the Mercedes AMGs, they can install yours over a weekend? Well, I mean, we can install it over hours sometimes. I mean, we've had customers uh, install 25,000 an hour, you know, so it's it's crazy how fast we can actually go. It generally depends on how fast the customer wants to go. But that's the way we built the platform. Easy to deploy without a reboot, 
uh, remo removes friction from uh, the operation. And overall, we don't want to get in the way of the customer. We want to be able to provide that protection, provide that visibility, uh, and give them the power that need that they need to focus on their business. Now, we have had some horrible, horrible attacks of late. We have MGM, we have Caesars, we have Clorox. Any of these preventable in your eyes? Well, when you look at these breaches, um, you know, this is uh, indicative of the environment that we're actually in right now. The adversaries move so quick. Used to be 79 minutes until they could break out from a, a system they got onto. Now it's seven minutes. It's, it's, it's crazy how fast they're moving. And a lot of these breaches are social engineering related and it ties into identity. So I think what's important to realize is that customers need to have identity protection as well as many of the other technologies that are out there, EDR and antivirus. One of the things that we called out in the conference call and that has just been growing uh, tremendously is our identity protection technology. And it really helps identify these identity-based attacks and be able to prevent them. But it's a comprehensive program and uh, not only is it technology, but it's the service layer that we wrap around it helping customers identify these breaches, even if they're socially engineered, and be able to stop but them. But George, I'm worried. I, I have a call center. It, it, it's not mine. I pay them something. They may screw up. Someone says, hey, listen, I'm a friend of so-and-so's. They're using LinkedIn biography. How do you stop that? Well, that part's hard, uh, Jim, because if uh, I would say the, the, the biggest weakness is between the keyboard and the chair, which is the human. And even if someone compromises those credentials, <clears throat> what our technology can do is it can look at what that person is doing, that adversary. And it can basically say, this doesn't really look like Jim, so I'm going to re-challenge them and provide another one-time challenge, which then will force you to actually uh, go through a password authentication process. So it gives you a little bit more time to try to identify and stop these adversaries. Okay, one of the things I like about what you offer, is, according to the testimonials, is visibility. For instance, you had a great video of a fellow by, uh, who handles security for Magna, which is a company that I absolutely love. It's the biggest auto parts company in the world. They're talking about they can sh that a, a hacker can shut down a plant instantly, and you've got to pay them off in order to keep the customer happy. But they don't find that experience with you. Is it because they don't? They hear that you're that CrowdStrike protects, and they go to some other factory. Well, part of what we've done is uh, is to leverage AI since the beginning of the company, Jim. This is not a new thing for us, and you and I have talked about this. Um, that's the way I started the company to be able to identify these threats and then ultimately stop them. So when you think about ransomware, we can identify these pieces of ransomware without ever seeing them in the, in the, in the past. And that's different than signature-based technologies that are out there today. And so from my perspective, we can provide the prevention that customers need um, and prevent those ransomware activities. Right now, ransomware on average is 8.5 million per ransom event, which is double just over the last month. Well, that's incredible. And yet when I listen to who the, you know, you have state actors, but then you have these scattered spiders. I got to tell you, scattered spider to me, George, sounds like a, a publicly traded company that's a firm with has all the good AI that they want. How do you stop scattered spider with AI that gets into your organization? And the next thing you know, you can't even realize it until your whole line of Clorox is shut down. Well, when you look at these groups uh, and these adversaries, and spiders are the cybercrime groups, there, there's many of them out there and they're actually very good. So what's important to realize is that you have to have prevention technology, prevent as much as you can, you have to have visibility, and you have to have a service layer on top of it that can identify these and even if someone is socially engineered, be able to stop those attacks. What's important to realize is that things like 
uh, dark AI. We're seeing uh, fraud GPT, which is allows organizations or cybercrime groups to actually leverage AI to be able to create these sort of attacks without having a whole bunch of knowledge. So they can monetize these attacks even if they don't have the knowledge in-house. Well, I mean, should you, you can't advise anyone to pay. But then again, Caesars pays. They, do, they live. MGM doesn't pay. They die. I mean, it doesn't seem right. Well, each company needs to make their own decision, but our job is to prevent those uh, attacks from happening and obviously prevent the payment. And uh, there's no silver bullets in security, but I think it's about having a comprehensive plan. And, you know, when you look at the platform that we've built and the success and the module adoption and the ability to actually consolidate, what we have is working and customers like it and they're buying more of it. Uh, we know that uh, President Xi was recently in San Francisco. Just uh, curiosity, please. Were there fewer attacks coming from China while he was over here? I don't know the attacks from China ever stop. Uh, you know, when you look uh, every seven minutes, we're actually identifying hands-on keyboard type attacks across uh, customer base. So every seven minutes, there's actually new hands-on keyboard. That's not malware. That's just like adversaries doing things. And uh, those are the sort of attacks that are out there, whether it's <clears throat> nation state or whether it's cybercrime. They're very good, very fast and very persistent. Now, everybody knows that ever since the uh, SEC got involved, <laughs> the four day rule, they have no choice. Phone ringing off the hook just from publicly traded companies are afraid. Well, there's a lot of publicly traded companies that are fi- trying to figure out what they have in place. Can they actually respond to it? Can they figure out if they have a breach? Um, so, you know, those are tailwinds that we see in the business. And uh, it's something that every publicly traded company is going to have to deal with. But don't they feel that if they have Microsoft, they're fine? <laughs> well, you know, we've uh, we had a, a pretty big service quarter this uh, this uh past quarter. And a lot of it was dealing with uh, the cleanup of Microsoft technologies. And, um, you know, again, I think what companies are seeing is that good enough is not good enough. Right. Right. You have to have the best technology in the world uh, to be able to prevent these attacks. And that's what we're focused on delivering. Every day we think about stopping breaches, Jim, not not uh, applications. How about your biggest deal with a hospitality hotel chain? That sounded like something where a Caesars or an MGM made somebody wise. Is that what happened? And they realized, wait a second, we're vulnerable too. Let's go to CrowdStrike. Well, we've got a lot of big customers that are out there and it's been, you know, an active uh, quarter in helping customers respond to some of these attacks. And uh, again, I think when people look at our technology, what it can do, how fast it can actually be deployed and the results they can get, I think they're buyers. Gentlemen answer. Thank you very much to George Kurtz, co-founder, president, CEO, coming from Singapore, I believe. Singapore is our new office, and uh, this is obviously uh, a key part of our expansion plan is in APAC, and uh, it's a pleasure to be here with all the CrowdStrikers and all of our local customers. Say hello and congratulations. Good to see you, George. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. May have back so after the break. Coming up, Salesforce shared earnings after the close. What does the quarter mean for Enterprise Software's 800-pound gorilla? Find out next. This is turning into a great week for the enterprise cloud software plays after the close tonight. Salesforce reported a tremendous quarter. So good, it's hard to remember that a year ago, this company was under siege by activist investors who wanted management to get religion on generating more profitability. They certainly delivered. Tonight, Salesforce reported a solid top and bottom line beat with a much better than expected operating margin and incredible 
cash flow numbers. Oh, and their data cloud division saw a major acceleration. That's the most important division, up 22% year over year, hence why the stock is roaring in after hours. So let's take a closer look with Mark Benioff. He's the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Salesforce to learn more about the quarter and what comes next. Mr. Benioff, welcome back to Bad Buddy. Jim, it's always great to be with you. Oh, same, Mark. Now, I've got to tell you, a year ago, people were saying, you know what, he's not going to do a big free cash flow number. He's not looking at the current remaining performance obligations. He's not delivering on the bottom line. I'm looking at current remaining performance obligations, $4 billion more than people thought. Free cash flow, $1.37 billion. People are looking for $681 million. How is this possible? Well, Jim, you can see these numbers. These are monster numbers, and it's a monster year. It's been incredible at Salesforce, and the transformation has been one of the biggest I've ever seen in software. I mean, the quarter, you can see these these numbers. A few companies have ever delivered numbers in software at this size and scale, and not just in revenue, but in cash flow as well, exactly like you're saying this Cash flow number, I think, is up a thousand percent year over year. It's incredible. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people were looking at. Uh, look, your earnings per share, obviously, much better than expected. But the numbers that I really count on, the ones that everyone's measuring by, are those two. Now, they're also measuring. One of the things that's happened this quarter is that when I hear someone does a lot of business with Amazon, it's worth ten percent immediately to their stock, and it, it pops up. I know you've always had a good relationship, but you're doing a huge amount of business now with Amazon Web Services. Well, you know that we have a great relationship with Andy Jassy, and I think he's one of the best CEOs in the world. And uh, the partnership that we've had with them has gone on for years and years. They're a huge customer of Salesforce, by the way. You know, Amazon uses Salesforce to maintain their customer relationships for B2B and B2C. That's really how all of this got started. We have got all of their customers on journeys, and we're providing our Einstein capabilities and our new data cloud to accelerate their growth, and it's working incredibly well. It's just an incredible success story for Salesforce. Well, you know, there's a new CEO at a, at a company I really respect and have used uh, and been a good client for, ADP. It's uh, Ms. Black, Maria Black. It seems like that she understands how to use Einstein better than anyone to keep her gazillion customers happy. What is she doing with you? Well, Maria Black is a fantastic CEO, probably one of the best in the industry, and I'm so glad that she is at ADP, a, com- a great company and a brand of Salesforce. We've worked with them for literally decades, and they're doing a, a, just an incredible job with us really in three areas. One, first, it's a monster deal for us for the quarter, so you know that, Jim. But number two is they're really using our Einstein GPT to uh, create this kind of co-pilot relationship to make their sales reps much more successful. We're so excited about that. And they're using our data cloud as well, uh, which is going to help them to really get their data in shape so they can really accelerate with this AI revolution that's going on. Are you finding that people are using Einstein to make it so that they have a lot more time to be in touch with the customers and a lot less time typing, a lot less time doing administrative work that you're doing it? What is the multiplier that you are giving force multiplier of Einstein? Jim, you've got three exciting drivers going on, or what you call multipliers. You know, number one is, Jim, I, I deals a million dollars and above this quarter are up like 80%. It's incredible. These very large deals, I haven't seen numbers like that in so long. And I'll tell you why. It's because companies are really adding all of these great products together into a suite. And it's not just our sales cloud and our service cloud and our marketing cloud, but it's also Tableau, it's Slack, it's MuleSoft, and it's also Einstein GPT. And the final, a cherry on the top of the cake is our data cloud. That is an incredible new product. And I think in the quarter, Jim, actually, we did a thousand new data cloud customers. Isn't that amazing? Uh, 
Add to that another huge driver for the quarter is our Einstein GPT Copilot technology. This is also amazing, where we did 550 Einstein GPT Copilot deals for customers. So these are customers really putting AI to use. Now, and that is what I think is starting to really drive our growth in these exciting new ways. Is it every vertical? I know finance is supposed to be late. How about retail? Who is putting the money in manufacturing? Where are you seeing it? Jim, this is really across the board. We, I just got off the a plane, as you know. I've been in Tokyo all week. Jim, right. I couldn't believe the traction. Every single customer was implementing data cloud. We did our world tour yesterday. I did the keynote. I got on the plane. I got off the plane. I'm here. You know, we had thousands of customers who are interested in deploying data cloud in Japan because they all need to go AI. You're not going to go AI in your enterprise until you get your data together. You're not just using the Reddit data or the Internet data the way ChatGPT is, you know, for your enterprise. You have to get your data together. And that's why Salesforce Data Cloud is so important. And it's why we did those thousand data cloud deals in the quarter. And when you look now at what we've done, even in just such a short period of time with Einstein, Chat, uh, Einstein GPT, which is our co-pilot product, 17% already of the Fortune 100 are already now these Einstein AI customers. This is the new technology. Not, I'm not even con- taking into consideration the trillion Einstein transactions we did this week, which is our predictive and generative layer, our whole trust layer. That did a trillion transactions. These are just across the board new customers. Okay, when I say so it was like a trillion a month, and now it's a trillion a week. And when I see you next, is it really possible it could be a trillion a day? Well, Jim, this is just an incredible opportunity, what's happening now. And I think we're going to see some unbelievable opportunities with Einstein. And we're going to see some incredible capabilities, not just with predictive AI, but with generative AI as well. Now, is it possible that you yourself are using it? Because when I saw the headcount, your headcount is down substantially from a year ago, and yet your revenues are exploding. So you're using it, too. Look, Jim, if you look at the employment data and you know, look at what ADP is saying, what ADP is saying is that we have incredibly low employment. We're going to need more productivity. Right. Where is that productivity going to come from, Jim? It's going to come from AI. We all need to be using this AI technology to take advantage of basically the incredible you know, opportunities in, 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 the, in the labor market. So if we're going to be able to maximize what we have in our companies, we need to deploy this AI technology. To do that, we have to do a number of things. One of them is going to be using these data clouds so that we can get our data together. That is our fundamental message to our customers. You saw that at Dreamforce right. and how successful that was. And it's successful really all over the world. I, I mean, I, I'm so excited about what all of our customers are doing with our data cloud. All right, well, how successful have you been in the world of open AI? I saw your tweets. I know that they have a lot of good people. Have some of them felt liberated and want to go to Salesforce? Well, you're right. I I am recruiting aggressively uh, artificial intelligence engineers. Well, I'm recruiting aggressively all kinds of great engineers. And some of those folks that we'll be able to get back are were actually our employees before their Ohanas, their rebounds. And we're excited to get that kind of uh, get that uh, opportunity. That's so exciting for us when we get that boomerang coming back at Salesforce. We've had a tremendous success with that. And uh, listen, if you're a Salesforce uh, alumni or Arahana, and you want to come back, you know how to email me personally, and I will uh, take care All of right. you. All right. Well, last question. You sent me a book, Ghost Fleet, not that long ago, and it made me worried. It made me worried that perhaps the Chinese could be more than just, uh, let's say, uh, 
uh, economic competitors. When you sat down with President Xi recently, uh, did, did you find him more friendly, given the fact that his nation's economy is sinking and ours is on the rise? Jim, I was so grateful that President Xi came to San Francisco, to our great city, and I was so grateful for a successful APAC conference where we had about 35 heads of state. Uh, we hosted many of them at Salesforce Tower, showing them this vision of artificial intelligence. And I felt there, and also I'll also tell you at the UK Safety Summit, which I also attended in the quarter, Jim, uh, the Chinese ministry came, and to see China participating on the world stage and uh, really having that collaborative relationship uh, with uh, with us again. This is so important for everyone well, uh, going forward. And I'll tell you that in the quarter, we also deployed at Alibaba for the first time, in, in, including put it getting Caring and LVMH up and running on the Alibaba cloud. I am so excited about that. It's a huge you, accomplishment. You, you, you buried quarter. the lead. These are all the great companies that you could possibly see. Mark Benioff with an honestly, Mark, an amazing quarter. Congratulations. I, I thought know, the summer yeah, quarter been, was good. This is amazing. It's awesome. It's an awesome Incredible. quarter. Congratulations. Well, we're going to do 8.7. I mean, Jim, you look at it, not just an $8.7 billion quarter. We're going to do now $34.8 billion. Even David Faber will be impressed. I mean, that is really saying something, isn't it? We will see. I'll see you tomorrow on a replay, no doubt. Be nice to David Faber, Jim. <laughs> Come on. He's a great guy. You know I promise. that. It's Mark Benny. I'm co-founder, chair, and CEO of Salesforce CRM. And yes, congratulations Come on a great quarter. Jim. We love you. I'll see you we soon. We love having you here. I'll see you soon. Thank you. you. Okay, oh. bye-bye. Coming up, hopes are high. Can this company turn flurries into an earnings blizzard? Snowflake joins Kramer next. For the past few quarters, we've been hearing all sorts of negativity about enterprise tech spending. We were told there's more scrutiny over new deals, longer sales cycles, and more high-level sign-offs required to close new business. When you hear this stuff, it's normally synonymous with the slowdown. But now that we've reached the cloud portion of earnings season, that's not what we're seeing at all. Take Snowflake, the cloud software company that helps its customers manage, analyze, and deploy their data, something that's become especially important in the age of AI, because data of AI doesn't work unless you feed it mounds of data. Sure enough, Snowflake, which had seen some slowdown not long ago, reported a huge top and bottom line beat with strong guidance for the current quarter, and management raised their full-year forecast convincingly. The stock already run up 27% from its October lows, and it's roaring again in after-hours trading. Totally justifiable given the strength of this quarter. Can it keep roaring? Let's dig deep with Frank Sluton. He's the chairman and CEO of Snowflake, who came right from his conference call to join us now. Mr. Sluton, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to be on with you, Jim. Well, Frank, I got to tell you, there may have been some question about a slowdown when we spoke in May, but it's clear that things are really on fire. You are doing a level of business that's far in excess of what I thought you could at this moment. Is it Cortex? Is it the bargain that you offer? Is the fact that you make it so easy to understand what's happening? Well, you know, I mean, we're, we're, we're on long-term uh, trends here, uh, Jim. You know, you sometimes have short-term aberrations, some of which we've, uh, you know, we've seen over the, the, the past year when, when people resort to resets and optimizations that temporarily sort of upset the trajectory. But the trajectory is, is up and to the right heart. And, and the reason is, you know, the only, the only way we can really parse our realities and, and predict outcomes is to become, you know, really sophisticated uh, data operations. That's that's what we need to have. And for a lot of enterprises, 
this is just the beginning of a journey that is going to go on and on. And, uh, and people are really leaning in hard. And uh, it certainly helps that, you know, AI and ML, you know, words that we, we hear an awful lot, um, are, are that helps people double down on these trends, right? Because those are enabling technologies, uh, you know, for people to reap the benefits that they're, that they're envisioning. Well, I saw a rather, I was trying to put pen to paper, you had 287 customers last year that, uh, for 1 million more. They said they were spending more than a million. Now it was 436 customers. I mean, so you just have people who are just doubling down on your way of doing things. Obviously, the consumption model is proven by those numbers as the best way to be able to do business on the cloud. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we, we think consumption model, uh, models are incredibly equitable to to customers. I know investors don't like it too much on the way down, uh, but for customers, it, it, it's an absolute win, um, you know, because you get to spin it up, you get to spin it down, um, and you're not locked into to, to contracts, you know, when, when you don't want to be. So um, we think it's the way to the future. We think all software, you know, will be purchased and, and consumed, uh, you know, in, in this matter. And you see growth accelerate very quickly, right? Because it can, because there's no contractual action needed to enable it. Well, one of the things that you taught me is that you've got to be careful when you think that AI is cheap. The hardware from NVIDIA, and I saw an interesting conversation, a little bit of a sparring with you and Jensen Wong. It's not cheap to build your own. It's much cheaper if you're having to spend $40,000 per graphic chip. Basically, it's just better to go and rent it. You look, look, you know, uh, computing is is very expensive, and we do need business models uh, to support it. You know, this cannot turn to an expensive hobby. But I'm, you know, been super optimistic uh, that we're going to be hitting these uh, these applications of the technology that are going to be incredibly profitable. Um, you know, you, you see it in, in in contact centers. You know, where we're going to massively, uh, you know, compress costs and massively improve the customer experience at the same time. Um, so I think the benefits, you know, will be there, but it's, it's, it's not an automatic that it will just happen uh, by throwing a switch. All right. Well, tell us what, uh, what Snowflake Cortex means, because that was not available when I spoke to you last. Yeah, so, so Cortex is the Snowflake you know, brand name. You know, this is, it's essentially an experience, if you will, you know, for technicians to access the AI functions in a in a very abstracted way. I mean, one of the things that, that Snowflake is known for is that we abstract technology, simplify technology, democratize technology, as opposed to exposing complexity. That's the one thing that we're trying to avoid because then fewer people can make productive use of it. So, you know, Cortex is, of course, the outer layer of the brain. That's what this is. It's the outer layer of AI. It's the way you interact and engage with the technology and derive the benefits uh, from it. So it's an it's an umbrella brand name for us that will that will uh, basically be a home for all these functions and capabilities. All right, so Frank, are people using this to be able to say I want more I want more productivity? Are people being more productive? Uh, are they doing less administrative work and more actual what we used to call it when I worked at Goldman making money? You know what I mean? I mean, one of the things that's happened is, is that you have a lot of people who are just not revenue producers. And maybe we can't afford to have that in an era where we don't have enough productivity. 
You know, the, the trend over over decades uh, and longer is that we're abstracting technology all the time. Uh, in other words, things are getting simpler, more approachable all the time. Things are not getting more complex; they're becoming less complex. Um, and in other words, you know, you're you're on the wrong side of history when you are exposing complexity. Uh, our strategy is to to abstract it and to make it much more approachable, much easier, much faster. You know, we don't want these these hairy. Uh, erector sets of technology platforms that are very, very fragmented, difficult to put together, um, you know, very difficult to find and recruit the skill sets and pay for them, people that can do that. The technology needs to become broadly available and usable and productive for, for the economy. That's how it becomes a big business. All right, so who's who's driving people toward you? I mean, these other companies have giant sales force. I mean, I look at your, 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 your headquarters is anywhere. You've got a, a very smart team with you, but there, there must be some big aggregators who are saying, listen, maybe we shouldn't go in a three-year contract. Let's see how it works with Snowflake. The reason I say that is because I happen to know the guys at KFC, all right? I happen to know that at Yum Brands. It's a great company, but they know how to make chicken. They don't know how to make technology. I swear to God, they can make a great, I love their stuff. How did they get to you? Well, you know, the, the thing is, we're all becoming software companies. We're all becoming technology companies. Um, you know, in, in other words, you know, every organization will become data savvy, will become tech uh, savvy. Yeah, we're in the chicken business, you know, but even the chicken people will have a whole cadre of very, very capable, very sophisticated data people. And certainly in, in direct-to-consumer segments, you know, like like retail and hospitality, I mean, mastering data science is going to be incredibly important for them. And so, so what happens is, let, let's use this, uh, use a KFC, for example, the head office knows how much how much the other guys may need. So nobody runs out because if they run out, they move, they miss their numbers. If they miss the numbers, the quarter's short, the stock goes down. It really is simple as that, isn't it? Yeah. And you have to be able to predict it. You know, you can't react to it. Right. So you need to know what's coming and, and basically act on that. That's what supply chain management is and the right product, at the right time in the right place. You know. So people did figure out that that it is much cheaper to go and try one discrete thing than just get locked in in a three year. It happened. It, yeah, I didn't yeah. think it could happen. Frank. Yeah. I thought that everyone was bamboozled. You did it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> what? I mean, you made it pretty. You have some good conferences. I've seen your videos. It's a very compelling. It's really a very compelling opportunity to hire Snowflake, isn't it? It, it is. You know, we uh, we get started with very small contracts or no contracts at all. And, you know, within a period of time, people grow in leaps and bounds and become very formidable consumers and contributors to our business. So it's a oh. wonderful model. All right. Well, I want to thank you for coming on all the way through, Frank, and it's really working. You're crushing it. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. Thank you. That's Frank Slootman, Chairman and CEO of Snowflake. Guys, this stock is going higher. OK, I'm just telling you that. Man, money's back. Here. Coming up, pop open those umbrellas and tee up your toughest questions. Kramer takes on all comers in the lightning round. Next. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. Chris Price, Robert Bull, Rusty Sandman, Stock and Television, my Bob, my Bob, Police, and Seth, we have been playing itself. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Kramer is mine. Let's start with Richard in California. Richard! Hey, Jimmy, this is my fourth time calling. Calling about this day's technology. It's, it's, it's rated bullish, but the stock's not moving. 
it, the stock is way too cheap. I've got to tell you, it has these periodic bursts, and then you then it comes back down. This is one of those mo- moments where I think you got to buy the shade. It's very inexpensive. Let's go to Jim in Illinois. Jim. Booyah, Jim, from Chicago, Windy City. Oh, man, good to have you on the show. What's happening? Hey, uh, headquarters, Abbott Laboratories, ticker ABC. Abbott Labs has gotten way too cheap. I mean, I saw it was under $100. I said, are you kidding me? This thing went all the way down there, a quality company with a good dividend and a long history of doing the right thing. I say bye, and Robert Ford's always welcome on the show. Leanne, Leanne in Hawaii, Leanne. Aloha to ya. Where do you see riot, the pick and shovel of the Bitcoin world? You know what? They they don't make any money. The thing I like about pick and shovel companies is they make all the money. This one doesn't. I say if you want to own, uh, want to do Bitcoin, own Bitcoin. Adam in Illinois. Adam. Hey Jim, booyah! Look quickly, Confluence, six stock or six company? Uh, I'm very, I'm very bummed out about Confluence. I thought they really had it going. You know what? I now they're in two quarter penalty box. Two quarters, not one, because that was such a bad quarter. Let's go to Quinn in Pennsylvania. Quinn. Booyah, Jim! Got to start by saying, go birds, go eagles. Anheuser-Busch. Sell Bud by Constellation. The club owns Constellation, $237. Elliott owns it, too. That's the right stock to buy. It sells at the cheapest I've ever seen it. Constellation, which is Modelo and Corona. I need to speak to Timothy in Florida. Timothy. Hey, Jim. My question is on a stock in the pharmaceutical industry. Elliott Management's taken a significant position in the company, adding members to the board, and formed a strategic review committee. What are your thoughts on Catalan? You know, they, they had that kind of, a, let's call it a financial problem. And until I feel better and more confident about them, I say stay away. Stay away from Catalan. Stay away. Steven in Pennsylvania. Steven. Hey, Jim. A big booyah from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Hey, what are your thoughts on Mol- what are your thoughts on Mollus and company? The stock has come down too much. I've worked with them. I know them. I think they're high quality. We're going to get M&A again. That stock is an interesting level. I say buy. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Coming up, headwinds for your peace of mind, tailwinds for some winning stocks. There's no business like cybersecurity. Kramer explains next. There's no business like cybersecurity business, like no business I know. But I like the original from Annie Get Your Gun. Nothing about it's appealing. In fact, cybersecurity is basically a tax on the enterprise, one that every company needs to pay if it doesn't want to get looted by hackers. No wonder CrowdStrike, Palo Alto Networks, and Zscaler keep hitting new high after high after high. This business has become the greatest growth business of the moment. Because the bad guys have reached a new level of sophistication, whether we're talking about rival nation states trying to jam our military capabilities or small-time cyber gangsters who break into corporate computer systems, often by simply speaking to someone at a call center and impersonating an employee who put a little too much detail in their LinkedIn biography. Now, we didn't really know the full extent of these new hacks until the SEC demanded that public companies reveal cyber breaches four days after they happened. They issued that rule in July, and look, it took a ton of companies by surprise. But it's been a huge windfall for the cybersecurity complex. Because they have to tell their investors almost immediately, public companies have adopted a shoot-first-and-ask-questions-later policy, which is why they're spending so much money on comprehensive strategies to prevent data breaches. 
Then we got three discrete hacks, apparently from the same firm, Scattered Spider. And I use the term firm because these guys make a real business of it. Clorox, MGM, and Caesars all got hit, and they each dealt with the situation in different ways. Caesars apparently chose to make an accommodation, so to speak, to keep business running as usual. We don't know the circumstances, but they reportedly paid $15 million to make the bad guys go away. That's what they call ransomware. MGM took the tough guy approach, and the hackers unloaded on everything they had on these guys at every touch point, from room key locks to slot machines, even toilets, although I still can't figure out how you hack the toilet. Maybe digitization's going too far. Soon after, the situation got resolved without a lot of clarity, frankly. But Clorox, this company just seemed lost. Clorox didn't even seem to know it had been hacked, and by the time management realized it was too late to get the product out the door. Yet the, the hack essentially shut down the company's ability to do its business, to process orders. It lost fortunes. In this environment, companies can't afford to haggle. They often feel totally vulnerable in terms of identity protection, not that any software can keep individuals from being nice and helpful to their fake colleagues. Right now, it feels like the hackers have all the advantages, doesn't it? Their gross margins are used. Their free cash flow is extraordinary in an ultimate target-rich environment. That said, the bad guys do prefer weak targets. If they do their homework and find out that the good guys are using CrowdStrike or Palo Alto, it disrupts their business model, hurts the profitability. Far better to go after another company that has some pedestrian, homemade cybersecurity system or, or, or just hired somebody else with an unresponsive team. It's like carjacking people. They hit up the mall parking lot and search for cars with unlocked doors before they try to directly break into one. That's why these cybersecurity stocks are going to keep flying. They have the most essential government-mandated earnings safekeeping products in the world. They're the only ones who can keep up with what these sophisticated hackers are doing to break into trusted companies that make your household products or run your favorite casinos. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you. Right here on Mid Money, I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warn its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Mad Money Disclaimer.